Everyone's got your Bibles. Please grab them. Uh, last week, I was very blessed. Thank you, Christian, for the message. He taught through Colossians 1, chapter 9 through 14. It was very encouraging, and it was a very timely message that we had, uh, just teaching through the Word of God. I don't know about you guys. I don't know how your last few months have been. Uh, I know most of you that know me, I've struggled. I've struggled both physically and I've struggled spiritually. Twice I was in the hospital, and then I was sick. So to quote my friend, I was down in the dumps. Thank you, Kevin. And I really, I felt like I was watching, like, my life and the ministry and my family, just, like, everything, like, I was on the sidelines, right? I was, like, a coach that, like, was muted and couldn't do anything. I was sitting there, and I was sick. And everything around me, like, it seemed like it was falling apart. It wasn't, by the way. You guys are awesome. It wasn't. It was going great. But to me, you know, uh, sitting on the sidelines, it was rough. And I'm going to tell you, lies, 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 lies were being spoken to me by Satan. I was frustrated. I was depressed. I was discouraged. And Satan knew all of this. He knew what was going on. And thoughts of, in my mind of giving up, just they came to my mind. I was like, what am I even doing? Why am I here? I was tired. I was tired of the battle, the spiritual battle. Not even the physical battle. I can deal with that all day long. I was tired of the spiritual battle because I was physically sick and just down. Um, you know, I did know, as I share all these thoughts that I had, that these thoughts were not all mine. I, I think that's one thing a lot of people need to realize in spiritual warfare. Because something comes to your mind, that's not who you are. So these thoughts were coming from Satan, the one who seeks to destroy, and that he was speaking these lies to me. I'll tell you, I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. But during all of that, all I've just shared, I stayed faithful. I stayed faithful to read my Bible. I stayed faithful to be in prayer. You ready for the third part? I stayed faithful to remain in fellowship. It is so important. And because of this, even though I was so down... God used this time that I was kind of down to really minister to me, to remind me personally who God is and who I am in him. And so it was, a, it was a difficult time, but it was also a good time. You know, God, you know how he did it, though? He did it through the word. He did it through the word of God being preached. And I was able to receive it because I still attended church, even in Bible studies, even though I was only at that time able to attend online. I don't suggest online. It's a, it's, a, it's a secondary form. People need to be in person, but sometimes you need that's all the option you got. Now, many of you here today, I look around, know what it's like to walk through this and have also experienced very similar emotions. Um, so before we move on with the verses I'm going to teach through today, I want to look at the last few weeks and just share two verses with you that really spoke to me. And they were verses out of the last two teachings that I was involved in. So, first one is what Christian taught on last time. Turn to Colossians. Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power, so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. God really spoke to me to this this sermon that Christian led, just the promise that I needed to hear at the time with the place that I was in. Then Monday, we were at the staff devos, 
uh, with the organization we volunteer at. And God spoke to me again through another person teaching. Thank you, Kevin. And we're going to turn to Psalms. Psalms chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. But I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So you see these two verses, they really were encouraging, and I believe through the Holy Spirit, to minister to me as I was really having a hard time. But the way I received each one of these verses in the different times was being faithful. Faithful to stay in fellowship and stay in the Word of God. And God used that. You know, it was just a great reminder that I'm not alone and I can trust God. And I know no matter what I'm feeling emotionally and what's going on physically, His love is unfailing and He has rescued me from sin and death. So that led me eventually to turn from all this down-in-the-dump emotional whirlwind and turn back to Jesus and worship him because he is so good to me. You know, I walked through this this entire time that I dealt with this last month by being faithful. And, you know, it, there were some rough days, some rough times. But I challenge each one of you as you walk through these difficult times that we will all face, we all will face this, no matter what's going on, how you feel, stay in the word of God, Stay in prayer and come to church on Sunday. Be in fellowship. It's an amazing how God will honor that and use that and just speak amazing encouragements into your life. Again, God gave me these two verses, two different days, two different men, but through being in fellowship. And that was online on both of them because I was sick. I couldn't get out. So that was a legitimate reason why. I could have missed it, though, couldn't I? I could have just sat in myself and sat on Netflix and not got online and watched the worship services. But I did, I, I was faithful, and God was faithful. So again, today, that was it, the last few weeks. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 2. Now, it's been a while, so three weeks ago, what had been taking place before this wedding that we're going to look at today? Who remembers? Think about it. Remember your Bible in John chapter 1. And as you think about what was taking place, we're going to start in today's message. So again, John chapter 2. Remember what was taking place. We're going to review it in a minute. But let's look at the first two verses. John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and the disciples were also invited to the celebration. So this passage, it starts, right? It begins on the next day. Or if you look in some of your Bibles, maybe you've got the King James Authorized Version or the New King James. It says, I think, on the third day. So on this time, Jesus and the disciples are invited to this wedding. Now, interesting. What disciples were invited? Think about that question. What disciples were invited? Now, we need to go back to days beforehand in the scripture. And we studied them several weeks ago in John chapter 1. These disciples, only day before, one or two days before, were called by Jesus. There was, right, John... There's Andrew, there's Peter, there's Philip, and there's Nathaniel. They were all called the day or two before. So we, we know today's story in John chapter 2. Everyone knows the wedding story, right? Jesus, I'm not going to ruin it, right? Everyone knows it? Jesus is going to turn water into wine. I'm not going to ruin the story for anyone. But it's interesting as we think about it. We've all heard the miracle. We've all known the story. But as you think of this story, what do you see taking place? I want you to start visualizing it and imagine it. Who was there? Who was present? Well, we got, we got a bride. We got a groom. We got Mary. We got the servants. 
We got the different wedding guests. Obviously, it doesn't say it, but there had to have been a bunch of guests. Uh, we got the master of the ceremony, this guy. We got, wait, how many disciples? How many disciples were at the wedding? Think about this. I just gave it away. There was five. Now, I don't know why I mentioned that. So, and also, wait, who else was there? Jesus' brothers. If you go to the last verse that we're going to look at today. Are these all the people that you imagined at this wedding? Did you think about the disciples that way? I admit, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just like television or like Sunday school. I always imagine hearing this story, and I imagine seeing this wedding taking place, and I imagine tables like this, and I don't know why. And I imagine all the disciples hanging out around Jesus, and they're at this wedding. But there was actually only five at the time. So I find that interesting. So we're going to begin this story today at this Jewish wedding. Now, this, this wedding, it was very likely the biggest single event a person in that culture and that time would experience. This was huge. And most of these weddings would not just last one or two days, but several days. Uh, this would be a huge celebration. There would have been a lot of singing, a lot of dancing, a lot of eating, a lot of laughing like behind us. And a lot of kids running around and playing. I mean, it would have sounded probably like behind us. There would have been, yes, drinking of wine. So Jesus attended a wedding that included all these things I just listed. He was there. And I hope, you know, I thought about this. I hope someday I would have an opportunity to attend a wedding like this. This would be fun. A Messianic Jewish wedding. Wouldn't that be amazing? to go there and attend a wedding like that. I hope one of my friends someday will find a nice Jewish girl and then invite me to the wedding. Huh, Christian? So I smile as I think about that. Wouldn't that be amazing? All the loud conversation, the children running and laughing, the dancing, the singing, the eating. It would be amazing. It would truly be amazing. The food, it have to be amazing. So each of you, I hope you can, thinking about this wedding, it should be easy to imagine with all the background noise that you're at a wedding. Just place yourself there. Are you having a good time? Are you, are you the ones that are singing and dancing? Or are you sitting at the table eating? Uh, everyone, you know. So this wedding, I want you to place yourself there. And we're going to start reading through these passages. But imagine yourself at this wedding. So we're going to look at verse 3 and see what's going to happen next. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, as I read this, that they ran out of wine, I'm going to tell you it doesn't mean that much to me. It really doesn't. When I read it initially, I have been to a lot of weddings before. I'm, I'm sure most of you have been to quite a few weddings. And after some time celebrating and enjoying the festivities, if they had ran out of wine, I really wouldn't be too concerned or worried about it. But in Jewish culture, this was a huge, huge deal to run out of wine at the wedding. Huge deal. And I think it's hard for us, as all of us actually, to imagine what that was like. The shame that the, the couple or the family would endure. You know, again, I'm not Jewish. And I'm not from an honor and shame culture myself. There are some here from Thailand that can are maybe a little more familiar with the honor and shame culture. But I'm not from that type of culture. I'm American. And so we're not, you know, we don't think that way. But I'm going to try to give a, maybe a, an illustration or an, an analogy. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not a great one. But it's the best I could come up with to try to give us an idea of what maybe this would be like. So here's a story, a, a, a fake story that I just come up with. 
Imagine men. Okay, you can imagine women too, but imagine men. You have met the woman of your dreams. She's amazing. And you are ready to go ask her father, because you're going to do it right, her father for her hand in marriage. So you text them, because it's modern, right? You text them up, and you say, hey, I'd like to set a meeting, and I'd like you to meet you at the finest restaurant. And uh, this isn't Red Lobster we're talking about, right, for you Americans. This is a $150 a person French restaurant. You're going to ask the parents for their daughter's hand in marriage. So, if any, by the way, if there's any guys out there listening, this is what I'm expecting. Hint. So you go, you buy a new shirt, you get your hair cut, you're very nervous, you're going to go talk to this guy, and you're going to meet him for dinner, and you're going to ask for their daughter's hand in marriage. So you guys all meet up, you go to the restaurant, the night's going well, but you're really hesitant to ask. I bet you he kind of knows what's coming, but, you know. And the night is going, you finish the dinner, and then... You ask your parents, like, hey, what are you guys going to order for dessert? Make sure and order dessert. You know, I'm paying for it tonight. This is my treat, so order dessert. Both of you order your own dessert. Maybe even take one home if you need to take one home. I'm paying because I got this great new job. It's doing amazing. I'm getting paid well. It's a great career. And still, you haven't worked up the courage to ask for her hand in marriage. But the night's closing in, and the waiter comes up and brings a check. So you're like, well... I better get this done, right? Because the night's closing in. So you hand the waiter the credit card with the bill. You don't even look at it. You know, that's the way you do it. And you ask the father for his daughter's hand in marriage. Sir, you know, I've known you for a long time. I'd like to ask your daughter's hand in marriage. And just as you're sitting there looking at him, waiting, what's he going to say? The waiter comes up and loudly professes. Excuse me, sir. Your bank says you're overdrawn and we can't accept your credit card. Your card has been rejected. Now, that's kind of a funny story. And you're like, I don't have any. You're, you were waiting for the answer. But then you're like, I don't have any other way to pay for this. This is like $500, this dinner. So the girlfriend's father now has to pay your bill. Then the father turns and says, if you can't even take care of dinner, how would you take care of my daughter? What do you think? That's my analogy. This would be embarrassing, right? It's a fake story. But you imagine the shame you would feel? I mean, it would be, I don't even think it'd be close to the shame the family would have felt in this story in the Bible, though. But I don't know, how do I come up with a Western-type story to feel shame? Because we're not accustomed to that. We don't, our brains don't work that way. But this, this shame that the family would endure for running out of wine would, it'd go on for their whole lives. And people would still be talking about it. It'd be embarrassing. So think of the most shameful thing each of you have ever experienced. I think each of us have experienced some form of shame in some which way or another. So just think of this in your mind. Ponder it as I go through the rest of the message. Now, as I do think, I'm not even going to share mine, but I think of if I saw someone in a situation that I could prevent something like this from happening, um, I would do anything to try to prevent someone from experiencing the shame that I've experienced at different times, right? Like if I saw that happen, like I could slip the guy, you know, slip the credit card to the waiter before maybe anyone would notice, but it's probably too late for that in my story. But I would usually do anything I can to prevent that from happening because I would never see anyone to walk through something like that. Now, Mary in this story, this is why I come back to all of this. Mary in this story is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, do something about this. 
This is a big deal. Fix this. She had noticed that the wine had ran out and wanted to save this family, this couple, from being shamed for years to come. And it appears at this time only a few probably knew about it right now, right? The waiters obviously knew something was up. Mary somehow knew. But Mary, some people, you know, they think Mary's asking for a miracle. Maybe you guys have heard this before when you studied this passage. I don't think so. I think Mary was asking Jesus just to fix a problem that was at hand. That's my opinion. Mary needed help, came to Jesus, her son, hoping him and the disciples, his friends, could help fix this problem quietly and quickly. Um, you know, what was the solution? Maybe they could go out, you know, and seek out somewhere and bring back some more wine. I don't know. But think of this. Who knew better what it was to live a life of shame than Mary? Huh? Who knew better than Mary what it was like to live a life of shame? She did not want her friends at this wedding to experience shame because she knew exactly what it was to be shamed. She was asking Jesus to do this so this couple would not experience this shame that she knew all too closely. So let's read Jesus' answer to his mother, verse 4. Dear woman, that is not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not come. Now, we know that Jesus knew Mary's heart. as his mother, and he was Jesus. He, wanted, she, he knew that she wanted to save her friends from dishonor. But he responds to her, woman, that's not our problem. Jesus addresses her in a way that would, um, I think, seem very strange to all of us when we read that text. And I don't think any of us would speak to our mother that way. I'd hope not. I can imagine that if I was to speak to my mom that way, what would happen? But what we do miss is the text a little bit. Because what happens here is when we do a translation from the original language in Greek, the wording that Jesus actually uses is not necessarily, it's not disrespectful at all. It's not meant to be disrespectful. But it doesn't translate initially into English very well. So Jesus addresses his mother in a manner that, we would address each of us, our own parents, as we were, if we were adults, right? So if we're an adult, how do you address your parents in a, maybe a professional or work environment? Um, a, a silly example. I'll give you a silly example. Say that um, you could address your mom as ma'am. Would that be disrespectful in the right context? Maybe you're uh, hosting a part and you're like, ma'am, right this way. Let me, have, let me seat you right here. Right? So this is a similar situation. The way he was addressing Mary was not disrespectful. And I think that so many people think it is, and it wasn't. This wouldn't be disrespectful at all. It's just context to what's taking place. Um, you know, I think that Jesus addressing her in this way, it does show a transition. I do see that this symbolizes a time in Jesus' ministry where his, he wasn't public before this. This is going to be the first miracle. And so... This is a time where I think there is a separation. Um, I don't know how you want to look at that, but I think this is a time where Jesus goes from this point to this point. His ministry is going to begin. The miracle is going to be, you know, the, the disciples are going to see it. But it is definitely a transition. So let's see how his mother is going to respond after hearing Jesus' response. Verse 5. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Mary takes, and she, he, she simply places the responsibility in Jesus' hands. He tells the helpers, go do what Jesus, whatever he asks of you. Go do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. So Mary had seen this problem, the wine running out, informed Jesus of the problem. 
and what was taking place, then trusted Jesus to resolve it. Then it appears Mary went back to the socializing or back to the wedding, counting on Jesus to resolve this problem. So I, I like this when I see this. I think it's a little example Mary gives us. A great advice, too, just to trust Jesus and then do whatever he tells you. I mean, it starts right there. You had a problem, gave it to Jesus, trusted Jesus, and do whatever Jesus tells you. Let's see verses 6 through 8 and see what happens. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. You know, as I read these verses, I actually, I read some commentaries on it, and I like how David Guzik kind of explained it. So I want to summarize what he kind of said. He mentioned that Jesus could have done this miracle in any way that he desired, right? He could have done it any which way. He could have just filled the empty wine jars that must have been sitting somewhere. He didn't need to use these pots. There was empty wine jars or bags or whatever they had it in somewhere. He could have just filled them. He could have filled the water pots supernaturally himself. He didn't need the servants to fill it for him. He could have done this in so many different ways, but he specifically does it in a certain way. Jesus used the people in this story that were already there serving. And I think it's an important fact. Jesus was going to perform a miracle, and it was going to be amazing. But Jesus used the servants and dirty wash basins to show his glory. See, I see in a picture already starting to paint in my mind. I think there's a lot of us that have spent time in villages, spent time in places that don't have running water. I don't know some of you. I know a lot of you have. So it's pretty similar all over the world. When you think back to these places, what do they do for water? You always, right? You all, These places I've stayed, they'd have a, a big pot of water, usually outside the front door. And they'd use it for washing or whatever else you'd need the water for. So in the morning... Typically, the women, they'd go to the well or the river or wherever the water source would be. They'd take these buckets of water, and they'd take it, and they'd dump it in the big pot by the front of the house. And they'd use that water all day long, and then the next day, they'd probably refill the pot. It's very common. Now, I tell you, I've seen a lot of this. I've witnessed a lot of this. And these pots are not very clean. It's not like clean water. I would not advise anyone drinking from these pots. In Jewish culture, they had a tradition of hand washing. I'm not going to get into the big details about it. Some of you are familiar with it. I've done an example before. Um, but before they would eat and even they had to wash their hands in a like a traditional way. And there's a big process to it. So you can imagine this would use a, a lot of water. This would, and this wedding was going on that was going on several days and all this food and drinking and things were going on. So we read there's six pots, 20 to 30 gallons a piece. And for me, I, I, I've heard some people give different, imagine what it is for, so I want us to visualize what that would be like. And I imagine it this way. I think every one of us knows what a 55-gallon drum is. Everyone knows that, you know, you can actually imagine how big that is. We have a good imagination for that. 55-gallon drum. Cut it in half, open both sides up, and then you'd have six of them. And that'd be about the amount of water that we're talking about here and the capacity of them. So these pots would have been sitting there, six pots, used by all the guests during the wedding for washing of the hands, washing of the dishes, for all the things that you would use water for. So do you have this pictured in your mind? Then Jesus tells these servants to go and fill these pots, these water pots, to the rim. 
So I want you to just place yourself in this story. Imagine this taking place. These servants, they know the wine's gone. We know the servants know the wine's gone. Then Mary has now asked Jesus to fix the problem. They instructed the servants to do whatever Jesus asked. The servants are sitting there waiting to hear, how is Jesus going to fix the problem? What does he want us to do next? And he asked them to fill these pots with water. That's not, I mean, they do it. They're obedient. They don't understand why. Surely they don't understand why. Why are they hauling all this water when this party is about to be over because they're at a wine? You know, it sounds like my testimony, me asking the Lord, why? Why do you want me to do this, Lord? This makes no sense at all. As I'm usually looking at a real serious problem and trying to come up with a real solution for a problem, God will speak to me and say, prepare, fill the pots. Do something else. Trust me, and he will take care of the problem. And I see that in ministry so often. Um, I've seen it in Myanmar and here. You know, even today, you know, being here. Just prepare. Prepare. He'll take care of the details. So these servants we see here, they were faithful. They performed the work that Jesus had asked them to do. It didn't make any sense. They didn't understand it, but they did it. I want to read a quote from Spurgeon. He talks about this. This is a pattern for our faith and obedience. When you are bidden to believe in him, believe in him up to the brim. When you are told to love him, love him up to the brim. When you are commanded to serve him, serve him up to the brim. This is by Spurgeon. I really like that concerning that. Let's see what's going to happen next in verses 9 and 10. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone had had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. As I read this, I think it's one thing to be obedient and walk in a calling that each of us have from God. That's one thing. But it's another thing to walk in a faith and obedience knowing that you'll very likely lose everything. I think that's a big difference. Think about what Jesus had just asked his servants to do. I mean, it doesn't sound like a big deal, does it? But think about what they did. They, he asked him to take a cup of wash water and go serve it to their boss. I mean, that's what he asked them to do. They didn't know what they were. They just, they were obedient. We don't know how. I'm, the one person that was there that could determine these guys' fate, they were faithful. I mean, what would the servant say to the man, you know, the master of ceremonies after he gave him this, this cup? To try the wine. If he drank it and it wasn't wine, it was water, dirty water. What is he going to say? Jesus told me to do it. Jesus told me to do it. These servants were in a difficult situation. Jesus had asked them to do something that didn't make any sense. He asked us many times to act in faith, to trust him, even when it doesn't make any sense. You know, I think about packing up and coming to this country here. It didn't make any sense to me. Many thoughts come to my mind when I was, you know, felt called here. And I was like, what, what if it doesn't go well? You know, what am I going to say? Or what do I say to my family, to our team? I just tell them, oh, I was just following Jesus. I mean, it sounds kind of strange. What, what if it goes well, though? What do I say? What do I say if it goes well? Look at what I've done. Look at what we have done. Or do I say we were following Jesus? So I just, I don't know. We are to be faithful. We're to trust God. And during all of this, even in this simple analogy, we need to make sure he gets the glory. I want to give a quote 
again, I got a lot of quotes today from David Guzik. The servants who had drawn the water knew. The faithful servants who did the work to full, fully knew the greatness of the miracle. The master of the feast only knew it was good wine. He did not know it was a miracle. This knowledge was a special blessing for the servants. So we need to be witnesses. I want to be a witness to miracles that are taking place all around us. Because this miracle is taking place all around us. And I think how we are as we follow the servant's example that we see here is they were being faithful when it didn't make any sense and they were just obedient. And they were able to see an amazing miracle. Let's finish up with the last two verses of this story today. 11 and 12. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his disciple, his brothers, and his disciples. So Jesus, he had showed his disciples, these servants, a miracle. And through this miracle, we see that their, their faith increased. They came to believe in Jesus. And I love that example that we see there because I think I've heard a lot of times you hear, oh, this miracle was done, or if it was not really done, or some of these people on TV and stuff say they're performing these miracles. Always, always, always in a true miracle, it always leads to people coming to faith to Jesus, and he is the one glorified if it is a real miracle. Jesus was glorified here, and people did come to faith. So as we look back on this story, what were the characteristics of the people who witnessed the miracle and those that came to faith? They were all the ones that were obedient, even though knowing their obedience came with a cost. It was the faithful that came in the end of the story to trust and to believe in Jesus. There's, there's a lot of stories, and there's so much in this scripture. I mean, you could teach on this for four or five weeks. There's so much deepness into this. You get into the water and the wine, you can get so many things. There's so many lessons. But I pray the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of you uh, an application you could take from this, uh, personally. But in this story, I saw Jesus redeem a situation through a miracle. He redeemed a situation. He took the ordinary, and he transformed it into something even more amazing than they had ever experienced in their life. But I want to share what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me personally as I studied this. It's a little different. It's shame. I talked about it a little bit with Mary. I talked about how the couple could be shamed if they ran out of wine. But this is what really came to my heart and mind is shame. Um, this whole story began with Mary trying to avoid the couple being shamed. And I asked you earlier about a time that maybe each of you have experienced shame in your own lives. What do you think, as you think about that, the worst situation you've been in, what do you think the worst shame a person could ever experience would be? What is the worst shame a person could ever experience, ever? And before who? Because usually shame's got to do with a person. Before who would the shame be? I want you to think a moment. I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's done for you personally. I know you guys know Jesus. I want you to think about God. I want you to think how powerful God is. And I want you to think a minute what God did for each one of us. We're going to look at four or five verses right in a row here. I want you to turn and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Yes, 
Each of us will give a personal account to God. Each one of us will, at one point, give an account to God. And I ask you to remember who God is. Now, each one of us have given, been given instructions on how to live and how to walk as a Christian. We have it right in my hand, right? We've been given our instruction manual. We have it. So I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. Jesus replied, You must love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We will all stand before God at some point. We will all be accountable. How will you answer this? When God asks, have you loved me? Have you loved others? How will you answer? Think about that. Or look at some more verses. Will you say, Lord, I loved you and I loved others, but, uh, you ready for this? But I feared COVID-19 more than what you've asked of me. Is that what you're going to say? We're talking about shame. Imagine standing before Jesus, answering to him as we all will, and say that you lived in fear and knowing the God that we serve. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him, and he knelt before him. Lord, the man asked, if you are willing, you can heal me, and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Jesus reached out and touched a man with leprosy, breaking every cultural rule there was. Sick man. Jesus surely upset everyone when he did this. He ministered to the sick and he ministered to the lost just as we are each are called to do. My life first turned to Mark 16, 15, 15 and 16. And he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But if anyone refuses to believe, will be condemned. Does this verse describe your life these last couple years? Can you imagine standing before Jesus as we all well, trying to explain to him why this hasn't been your life, why you haven't been to church, trying to justify, well, because of this and because of that, knowing who God is and what he's done for you? Thinking of shame. Imagine standing before Jesus, the one who took each of our place on the cross, and explaining why you feared the things of this world rather than the one who spoke everything known into existence to be. I don't ever want to be shameful in my account when I stand before God. I don't want to be shameful. I want to continue to follow God's commands. We looked at just a few passages here. And I want to follow that, the word of God at any cost. You know what I want to hear when I stand before God and give account? Turn to Matthew chapter 25, 23. I know most of you already know the verse. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. You know, it's a, I don't know if you've ever studied John chapter 2 and then talk about shame, but this whole story started with shame. 
and the avoidance of shame. And what Mary would do in asking Jesus to help with this situation. And it comes with, in the end, Mary telling the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And I think if each of us, as we look at that, that lesson, if each of us will do whatever Jesus tells us, we will not be ashamed the day that we meet our Lord Jesus. And what he tells us is written right here. We just went through the verses. There's no excuse. There's none. Fear of COVID, fear of government, fear of culture is not an excuse. I would be so ashamed to come before my Lord and say, I'm sorry. I was scared. Sorry, I didn't want to offend someone. Sorry, it was against the culture. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be it. I don't want it to happen. So a different message today. Please pray with me, and we're going to have some more worship. Kids might head down at some point. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that each of us, Lord, we would have the strength through the Holy Spirit, Lord, to walk out your commands that are given to us in our Bible, Lord. And that each of us, Lord, would stay in fellowship and stay reading our Bible so we can understand what you've asked for each one of us, Lord, as your servants, Lord. And Lord, even when you've asked us to do things that make absolutely no sense at all, Lord, we would just be faithful. And your faithful servants, Lord, would see you doing miracles around us, Lord. And people would come to glorify you and come to faith. So, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, I pray that each of us, Lord, would seek you, Lord, and that when we meet you one day face-to-face, Lord, and we give account of our lives and the resources and the blessings that you've given each one of us, you would say, good job, faithful servants, Lord. We wouldn't be standing there ashamed, making excuses why we didn't do what you had called each of us to do. So, Lord, I thank you for this place today. I ask for a blessing on this place today, a blessing on this service, and a blessing on everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.